Welcome to a radical discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damon Ossoff with your host, Paul Frederick. like we're live so welcome friends and fellow Damons, to another episode of Damonosophy. my guest today is mr henry panic he's just written a new book with lucifer on my side and we're going to talk about it here today hi henry how's it going good good how you doing man good welcome to the show thank you for having me so um i've checked out some of your book um and I can say this about it, that um, you have a very, very compelling uh, and, and passionate story about how you came to discover uh, Luciferianism and, 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 and so forth. So maybe let's start there. Tell us how, how you found all this. Uh, well, I was raised Catholic, um, come from a pretty traditional Italian you know, family. Um, and then when I was about 13, uh, by that time, I'd already sort of abandoned my faith. Not that I think children really have the faith to begin with. It's kind of like you just do what your parents tell you to believe. Um, but I, I had found LeVay when I was about 13, and I just fell in love with it. And I, I researched everything I could about it. I read the uh, Satanic Bible, Satanic Rituals, Satan Speaks as probably my favorite book from him just because it's funny you know mm-hmm. his, his chapter in there uh god is an asshole i'll read it like every now and then just for a good laugh because it just cracks me up oh yeah uh, um and then uh and then yeah I, I was a satanist for for years and then when i was about 21 i just start I, I don't know it some other stuff happened when i was 21 we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll get to that i, I used to be a neo-nazi and that ended at that time and through neo-Nazism, I was exposed to a lot of uh, Norse paganism because a lot of those guys believe in that stuff. So I started just kind of researching more of um, of pagan belief systems, and then from that I found Luciferianism, and um, Luciferianism just really made the most sense to me as a uh, as a philosophy and as a, a way to structure your life. And then paganism as well. I mean, I, I incorporated a lot of pagan themes into my practice and into um, into the values I hold, and I think that uh, I think that the rise of paganism right now is, is awesome, and yeah, so I, I definitely include that and see value in all that as well. So, um, do you feel, and this is a question I hear, uh, do you feel that people have a um, are, are are Satanists made or are Satanists born? Um, and, and I'm expanding. I know Anton LaVey said that really famously, but I'm kind of expanding that really to like, you know, to, to really to the left hand path to be kind of more inclusive of like there's a lot of different movements that really draw from these same core values, really, that are like really deep, like individualism and personal responsibility. Um, do you feel that you had a proclivity for that already and then the ideas resonated and awoke that or do you feel you created something whole and new in yourself with it? Um, I'm absolutely with LeVay on that. I think, uh, I don't think that you can, I think you're, you're born into the left-hand path. And, uh, on top of that, you know, I'm a theistic Luciferian, um, you know, I kind of go back and forth on it, on the theism end of it, but I, uh, I write in my book that I think for the, the theistic Luciferians, and I, you could say the same for Satanists, I think it chooses you in a sense where, I can, you know, I, I have a lot of great friends from all religious backgrounds and philosophical backgrounds, and they could not follow Satanism in the way that I did, in the way that I still do, because uh, I still hold a lot of value to Levay and uh, Satanism. Um, but it, I feel like to really do it properly and to really understand and hold these values, it's not something that you can just learn about and then become a part of it's kind of it's kind of already there inside of you in in whatever in whatever uh method that might be yeah 
No, I, I so. tend to agree with that. I think to me, um, you know, the essence of uh, the left-hand path comes down to um, the structure, the structure of the psyche. You know, the structure of the human psyche is such that it was designed for certain things. It was designed to, uh, you know, go through this process. Sorry, it's designed to be individual, you know, designed to be an isolate intelligence and designed to go through this process of coming into being. And I think that what happens is that's that's kind of like part of our essence. Um, and then what happens is as we go through life, you know, we go to public school and, and stuff. You start to develop character armor. You start to develop personalities. And this is a, a result of a reaction against an indoctrination. So you develop all these like buffers and really your essence doesn't really grow much more after that for most people, right? Yeah. Because, because they have all this character armor on it. And then, um, and then some of us have the opportunities, like you said, something happens, you encounter certain influences in life and it awakens, you know, this memory of this essence. And then maybe some of that, that personality and that those buffers start to kind of crumble and fall away a bit. And then, essence starts to grow again and that's what i think happens to me that's like why the left-hand path is a, a a path it's not just a um you know we're a group of people we believe this and we hang out with each other because we believe the same thing you know no it's not that it's it's a path because it's engaged and it, it's moving and once you're set upon it you're going in this you're going in a in a certain direction you know yeah i i you said it beautifully man. really uh it's you know, you, you do, you get, you get indoctrinated in it. And then a lot of people, like you said, they just kind of stay in that sense of, okay, I was born into this and, and I'm going to stay with it. And then it, there's only so much growth that so many people can take. Whereas if you're willing and you have that in you to, to really look at these things and these situations and, um, you know, and, and look at life and, and the values that you're told to hold and say, okay, well, is this really right for me? Is this really right just in general? And then if you're willing to challenge that and you come back to it, well, it's stronger for you now. But if you're willing to challenge that and you realize that this just doesn't make sense to me, then I feel like that's kind of, you know, what you said, where you have a path, um, where the left hand is a path and you start to travel down is when you start to challenge all that stuff. And you start to be like, eh, does this really make sense? Is this really right? Or is this just what the collective is telling me that I should be believing and should be following? Yeah. I mean, to me, the right-hand path is that's the way of collectivism and that's obedience. It's a way of obedience. It's a system of right. obedience. And it's really, it's really um, clear in, in things like Islam where it means, you know, the word, you know, it means a submission and stuff. Mm. That's that's the most desirable thing of it. And so, to me, yeah, the left hand path is a is 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 away from that. It's to to move away from collectivism is, is to move towards uh, a strengthening and a reaffirming of uh, your individual unique uh, nature. Absolutely. Yeah. You, absolutely. You, now, a lot of this uh, we're we're talking about shocks, right? We're talking about how, like, you know, shocks come in and interfere with your life and can like awaken things and 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 make you aware of new things and illuminate new things. And a lot of your book, um, it, it, in my mind, it takes up with uh, you some shocks that you experienced um, that that led you in a in a certain direction um, that are pretty intense. Can you talk a little bit about about that, about what happened, sure. and how that's affected you uh well i i kicked the book off with given the story of what was going on in 2017 um with me so in 27 i'm an amputee i uh, i lost my legs because i got hit by a truck um walking across the street in 2017 i got a procedure called osteointegration and the, the procedure gave me the opportunity to wear prosthetics whereas previously that wasn't an option for me uh for various reasons um so i had a i had a whole bunch of issues come from the surgery itself and it's you know the problems happen but then I started to gain some traction did really well and then I broke my leg uh, while working out so that's kind of where I opened the book up and that's kind of my starting point is I uh, you know I had, I had all these issues I was getting I was addicted to uh, pain medication because of that surgery and because of nerve damage that I I 
got from the surgery and uh I was constantly going through withdrawals. I was, you know, it, it was a miserable time for me. But then I was starting to do bet good. I was really, really starting to do well with it. And then uh, and then I broke my leg, and that's kind of where the book picks up. Yeah, no, it's a pretty intense story how you tell it. I just uh, I, There's a part where you talked about you were lifting weights. You were, like, lifting weights, and then one of your one of your implants, like, snapped – and uh, I don't know if I'm telling yeah, you this well, right. I was, I was, <laughs> I was standing and, uh, uh, you know what TRX ropes are? No, what is that? All right, TRX, they're like, um, they like hang from a ceiling and then you come down, you can do rows with them. And, okay. You know, uh, okay. yeah. Okay. So I was trying to do them and I was standing and I lost my balance and I fell. And when I fell, that was when I broke my leg. Oh, geez. So, so it was, yeah, it was, uh, it's not fun. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't recommend breaking your femur. It's not so, an enjoyable experience. So these are, these are huge shocks. I mean, you don't have to convince me that yeah. this is not a, that, that this is a shock. Mm-hmm. What did you gain from it? Did you gain something from it? Did it, did there seem to be, did it lead to something good? Um, Yeah, I mean, there was there was a lot of stuff that was going on at that time. That a uh, couple months after I had broken my leg, I lost my grandfather, who for the past year he was battling cancer, and then I lost uh, one of my best friends to suicide, and uh, I was in a really bad, really toxic relationship at that time as well. Um, so it was it was a whole bunch of things that were going on. It wasn't just. Uh, wasn't just the leg break or the withdrawals that I was constantly having to go put myself through. Um, but yeah, I, I would definitely say some stuff came out of it. I definitely, uh, I'm pretty proud of myself for a lot of this and for how I handled the situation, not only during that time, but also afterwards as well. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, know thyself, man. It was just another thing for me to, to learn about my own resilience. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So that's a, this is something you said initially. You got hit by a truck, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's something that that's something you and I have in common. I got hit by a truck too. Um, Did you? Yeah, but not nearly. I I I I made out better than you. I got thrown, and the guy stopped. And I got thrown on the street. You know, I was in the crosswalk, and he was coming around the the corner, and you know, lifted me up, threw me several feet, and I ended up uh, just with a couple of cracked ribs as a result of it. But I remember, um, like laying on the pavement, and like seeing the car, and the car was still rolling to me, and it, it flashed through my mind: oh, he's gonna fucking run, he's gonna run me over. This is it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's all over. But then it, then it stopped, and um, I worked at a hospital at the time. This is the ironic thing: I worked at a hospital, and I was getting off work, right? And so. Yeah. Um, I saw my coworkers and I worked in like, you know, um, like collections, you know, like, uh, the, the financials side of it. And You're my coworkers guy. are walking out and they're like, Oh damn, Paula got hit by a car. And then a nurse came running out and like, you know, you know, took, you know, kept me still. And then the ambulance, you know, came and picked me up and they're like, Oh, hi Paul. And they like drove me around, <laughs> drove me around the block to the emergency room <laughs> and charged me like, you know, $500 for it. But, but my, my, my point is, is that, it led to things. It's like, so it, it heightens your consciousness when something like that happens. And, and, and not just in the moment. You know, you got adrenaline and stuff going on in the moment, but it changes your awareness around the that that point in time. It expands over that point in time. Your awareness change. And, and, and I think you become hyper aware of like new influences. And so I look back now on that time of my life and there's all these things that happened like right after that, like I got like, uh, you know, my, my dog and I, since I was like out of work, I could stay home with the dog and then all these other things happen. But it, mm. it, it, it makes you think about things differently. So do you, do you feel Absolutely. like your experience, uh, like it, like it changed your perspective? Yeah. I mean, when I get, when I get hit by the truck, I was 11. Um, and I was, I was in the hospital for three months. I turned 12 in the hospital. Uh, so I was so young when it happened that I don't like today, I don't really have a whole lot of memories of having legs. Uh, I used to ride my bike a lot and stuff like that, but it's, it's been almost 17 years now. So it's so far past that, that whatever 
person or mentality I had as, as a young kid, I honestly don't even really remember too much of it because it's, and, and even at that time, it, it was not really, you know, everyone else around me at that time seemed to think that like it was, it, it changed everything and it did. But in, in the same regard, it didn't. I still, I still was into the same kind of, you know, rock and metal music. I was still, I still had the same friends. It was just a matter of learning how to live in a wheelchair mm-hmm. and, uh, and that. Now I, I do, I have wondered in the past, just, you know, sitting around doing nothing like, man, I wonder what my life would have been like if I had legs, but it's never, it's never a question of, I wish it didn't happen. It's never a question of, uh, um, of regret. Like I, 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 I've told my sister and my mom before joking around, like if you ever build the time machine, you can go back to July 1st, 2003 when it happened. Just let me cross the street and get hit by the truck. Like it's okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, it's not having legs. It's not that bad. It's, it, you move on. Like, it's, right. you know, life isn't as miserable as, uh, um, I think some people might at times think that it is for me. It's really not. It's, you know, outside of accessibility issues, there's really not a whole lot of uh, conflicts. Now, at that time, though, it did, uh, you know, in, in regards to religion and philosophy and stuff, it actually kind of, in a way, got me interested in it. I didn't find LeVay by accident. I found him by, you know, trying to make sense of all of this and trying to, uh, you know, not wanting to just look at the idea of God and Christianity and really just trying to trying to explore my options out there. So in that regard, my invitations might have led me to uh, Satanism and Luciferianism and everything else that has been awesome and shitty since then. Right. So um, you talk about uh, responsibility and struggle mm-hmm. a bit in the book. Can you uh, elaborate on that? What is the, the, the significance of that? Uh, so I, that's my chapter where I, and throughout this entire book, I talk about personal accountability and personal responsibility and how important that is. Um, and I don't care if you're Satanist, Lesperian, pagan, Wiccan, whatever, if you don't value personal accountability in all areas of your life, then you're, you're missing a major part of this. Uh, so I, I also train in self-defense a lot and I have in one way or another since I was 14 and, um, my I open it up with the something that my self defense instructor taught me, which is uh, it's a saying that goes by there are no victims, only volunteers. So I talk about that mindset and how I had volunteered for certain unfortunate events that I come across when I was sixteen. My uh, I got my truck door slammed into, and the guy who was driving the truck was trying to kill me and two passengers. So uh, mm. uh, it's a drug deal gone bad, basically, and. Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's that's the chapter where I open up that idea because, you know, the first chapter is what is Luciferianism and really it should be called how I came to Luciferianism, um, and, and then I go to foundation where I talk about the philosophy. I have a chapter about the churches, responsibility and struggle is the first chapter where um, I really kind of open up the format of the book where here's a story and then here's the the purpose of it and and, and how it relates to my life as a whole. So what is what is Luciferianism to you then? How do you define this? Uh, Luciferianism is the an individual's path to reach their apotheosis. It's the being of. Um, it's the path there, and it's also the title that you accumulate once you arrive. So uh, Lucifer is a title, and Helena Blavatsky brought that to us in the 1800s and with that you, you know Luciferianism it's I when I opened up the uh, what is Luciferianism chapter I opened it up with what is Luciferianism I am the answer to that question lies in the life of each individual Luciferian and then I was like all right well people probably aren't gonna be satisfied with that so I wrote more about it but Luciferianism is absolutely a title that you adopt and it is a philosophy of living to your absolute highest purpose that you possibly can. And and what is it? You said um, apotheosis? Yes. Uh, that I, I took that from Michael Ford. Um, mm-hmm. And 
you know, Michael Ford, he, he, a lot of his books are about rituals and stuff, which I don't particularly engage in almost never, to be honest with you. Um, but he, he coined that term for Luciferianism, and I, I think it's great. It's the highest point that you can reach, and then um, ideally you, you wouldn't be able to be torn down from that highest point either. So I, I think that Michael Ford definitely, uh, he, he did some great things with that book, and I, I know you've done interviews with him as well, and uh, or not just with the Bible of the Adversary, but his other work, where he talks about how important it is to strive for the highest point and strive to reach your full potential. Yeah. Excellent. So how does, uh, I know you also have a chapter on humanity. What, what's your perspective on that? How does humanity fit in with things? What's, what's the role of humanity? Uh, the role of humanity, I, really it's a chapter about humanism. Uh, you don't see humanism, and I, I romanticize it. I talk about what I wish it was as opposed to what it actually is. Human, or humanism and, um, and religion don't typically go hand in hand. The humanists want to say that religious people, uh, uh, they stop the progress of humanity so that, and, and they kind of fill in the blanks with God. And then the religious people are saying, well, why can't the, the fill-in answer be God? In my opinion, if, if non-theistic Luciferians, which is the vast majority of Luciferians, um, if they're going to include humanism as a part of their practice, then there's no reason that the theists shouldn't as well. And I, throughout that chapter, I write about various stories where I either acted in accordance with humanism or I didn't. Um, I don't think that humanism is join the Peace Corps and... Uh, you know, become a charitable person necessarily. I just think it's about empathizing with humanity and uh, and that. On top of that, because I am a theist, I, I strongly believe that bef far before you should have any, try to bring an idea of God into your practice, you should explore all human options available to you. So the, the point here is... Uh, not to go, not to just turn to God as quickly as other people in different religions, my Abrahamic religion specifically. The point here is to use every possible resource you have before you start to think, okay, is this something that you need to bring uh, God into or a God being, whatever, however you would define God. Right. No, they really put the, um, a lot of conventional religion, I think really puts the, uh, cart before the horse, um, as, as, as far as that goes. And, and, you know, when people take this idea of, of God, they just take a really simple idea of a, it's just the idea of a leader, right? A big brother, right? There's like one, one guy who says what's, what's going on. And so people who are confused about what, what's the right thing to do. Well, here's what you do. You obey, you obey this, 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 this mandate here. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a power structure. And, and, you know, and my, my, my belief is that religion wasn't originally that, that that's something that happened with religion. Because if you go back far enough, you know, um, you know, with the Gospels, you know, uh, the, you know, in Christianity, I mean, it's it, 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 almost nothing that Jesus talks about there resembles what the current modern, modern church Christianity looks like. He wasn't concerned about you know, people like sleeping together or whatever and, and controlling this and, and, and all of that. Uh, but what happened is like at some point a power structure got inserted into it and it happened to all, all religions like it, it, they, they um, came to be reflective of this power structure of um, like Wilhelm Reich used to like wanted to call it patriot patrism right but then since then a lot of the reikians have said that's kind of misleading because it turns it into a male female thing but basically you know I, I i wrote about this idea of central authority in um in a book i wrote called the airbeth transmissions now this is a pattern which just appears it appears in religions it appears in states and with a system like that it's always going to say you know here here's the god you know here's the big brother here's the leader Here's what you need to follow so you know what to do, and now we can organize and control people. Whereas, like, without that, I think 
you know, we, we need a better word than religion because all of this shit is all wrapped up in religion, right? Sure. It, and, and what what you're describing with Luciferianism and your individual path, I think this is closer to the natural state of, of human beings, how human beings were intended to evolve, that they, um, you know, they go through a process where their essence grows, you know, and they, 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 they naturally find ways to, like, become something greater and they voluntarily exchange with other human beings. You know, that's like the irony of it. They, you know, uh, collectivist critics always want to say, you know, no man is an island, you know, and if you're being all left-hand path and individualistic, you know, well, you need people. Well, no, 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 I'm not saying you don't need people. Of course people interact. I mean, we, yes, we, people love other people and we need to get resources in exchange from each other, right? But that can be done voluntarily. It doesn't mean right. that it doesn't mean you need some central structure to come and like organize and put everyone in their proper place and tell everyone, you know, what time to get up and, and what time to go to bed and, you know, you know, um, control everyone's lives like that. So, so yeah, no, they, a, yeah. Uh, no, they, I was just going to say they uh, religion is <laughs> it's funny to me that since Abrahamic religion came to the picture, because in the and this, this is why I talk so much about paganism. Paganism was probably first before any other religious understanding. You probably had pagan and polytheistic beliefs, uh, and what those stories and, and what those—I don't even really like calling them religions, but we'll call them religions. What those stories and those religions are telling you is that uh, you know you can model and you can shape your life to be whatever it is. And for the pagans, they would model it after whatever God they favor. So Greeks might model it after, uh, you know, uh, Zeus or uh, um, uh, another God in, in the belief system. But I'm drawing like right now, but uh, you, God to me just means energy. Mm -hmm. That's, that's all that God is. So there's really no, uh, there's really no point where energy is ever going to tell us to do something or not do something. And all that we can do is just look at, you know, the, the stories and look at our own lives and say, okay, well, how does this align with what I'm trying to do? And then how is this energy going to serve me? Because ultimately if, if it doesn't serve you, then there's no point in doing it. Mm -hmm. There's no point in believing it. There's no point in, uh, in wasting any kind of time, you know, spending talking about it being you know, trying to live within that standard. So when religion came to the picture and then they said, you know, no, no, you got to live like this. And you got to do this and you, you have to uh, honor the gods or honor God in this way. It's like, go fuck yourself. No, <laughs> like I don't, I don't have to do any of that. Uh, I, I only have to do what is purposeful and beneficial to my life. So, it, you know, just following up to what you were saying. Yeah, this is one of the classic critiques that, um, I don't know, maybe Ayn Rand said this, that like when you look at all the pagan stuff, the pagan mythology, um, they're all based on like uh, the like heroes, right? It's all about a hero, you know? It's about, you know, Perseus, you know, the son of a god. It's about, you know, Thor. Um, it's all about heroism. And that actually cultivates... Um, individuality that cultivates personal responsibility um it, it cultivates all these like really good values and then what happens then then they come and they smash all that and they replace it with a story about the only hero in this story is someone who sacrificed himself right and so this is like the idea yeah. of the birth of the, the 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 cult of the victim uh comes from you know mass christianity being so that because yeah. jesus is like that's that's one way of looking at like you know the story in the gospels is that oh he's just a victim you know and the, the the slave religion type thing um and and i totally get that meaning but i i tend to think there's more underneath it i think there's more underneath the gospels right i think there's probably a system here there's elements of a system that like goes back to the egyptians or the persians or something like that which is way deeper than than um than church christianity presents it because they they lost right. they, they lost the connection with like understanding it somehow and so they've just reinterpreted it with their own low understanding of oh well this is what he meant he's just giving us rules and telling us to not do this and not do that you know and they they you know miss out on a lot of it yeah and yeah and and you know I, i'm not 
by any means anti-Christianity. Uh, I think you can you can gain a lot from reading the Bible. You can, um, you know, there, there is some good stories and some good, you know, messages in there. Of course, there is. There's there's a lot of them. Uh, but you're right. It, it is. It's the mentality of I will serve you throughout my life in hopes that when I die, I can, you know, live among God. And to me, that is the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. Why? And, and honestly, I don't think that Christianity restricts people all that much. Um, you know, when you, people talk about, oh, uh, Leviticus and, you know, anti-gay stuff, like that's all, hit up Judaism about that. That has nothing to do with Christianity. In in the Bible, Jesus isn't actually, Jesus is so much less like the people who are running the Christian organizations today than anything else. He was just like, hey, man, just be decent human beings to each other, treat each other with respect. Throughout my book, I sum up Christianity as uh, uh, the idea of living with love. And that's just the most condensed definition I could give of Christianity is with, with love. For the spiritism, it has uh, become a light bearer. For paganism, I, I put it as die with honor. So, the, you know, it's not, I, I feel like people sometimes on the left hand path really like to demonize Christianity. And, you know, if you're demonizing the church, I get it because fuck the church and I, I have no use for them. I don't really see how anyone does. But Christianity itself isn't that bad, in my opinion. And even more so, Judaism has some, has some good lessons to it as well. And uh, the only one that I guess I would say I'm most against would be Islam because it's Islam. And I, I don't know, they're, they're still 500 years behind the rest of the world. So, but uh, yeah, Christianity, in, in my opinion, the Bible there, it's, there are good lessons that you can take from that. And there are, you know, valuable, valuable sources of information. In oh, yeah. So, you know, two things, I'll, two things I'll say about the gospel that, that, that'll make you think about it is that one of the things that he says that, that, that Jesus says in it, supposedly, you know, whatever, uh, but it, he says, um, awaken. This is one of the main main themes in it. He talks about waking up and awakening and man must awaken. You know, there's like uh, the the Garden of Gethsemane, that that whole scenario where it's like his his, his students are there and he's like, sit, sit here and be quiet, you know, and I'm going to go over here and pray. And they keep falling asleep and he keeps coming back and saying, you know, and it's like three times he keeps coming back and saying, you know, I told you to stay awake for just five minutes. You can't even stay awake. You want to be an immortal being, but you can't even stay awake for five minutes. And then in the end, you know, the the Roman soldiers show up and get him. And it's like you, you fell asleep and you didn't warn me. And now, you know, the son of man is like sold out. So there's this idea of awakening. I mean, if you t take it in the right context, well, clearly they're like meditating or something like that, you know, and that's what he's saying. Because right. if you've ever worked with like meditation or anything, this is a big problem. There's a problem with like you fall asleep on it while, while you're doing it. Yeah. But also um, there's a the metaphor for being like wakeful, you know, being awake, you know, spiritually, you know, being awake in a consciousness kind of way. And that happens. That's it's referred to again and again throughout the Gospels. And once you key into this, it's so fucking obvious. I've never heard any Christian talk about that, though. And then the other thing is um, the kingdom of heaven, the way kingdom of heaven is always referred to as an, a state. The way he's been talking about it, he's talking about a state of being. He's not talking about a place that you go to, you know, you fly up on angel wings when you die. He's talking about a, an internal state that you cultivate through wakefulness. And then, of course, there's the stuff about he said he never calls himself the son of God. He calls himself the son of man, you know, and the the. Immaculate conception is just clear, clearly this is from the Greek influence, right? This is because they were yeah. like trying to get these ideas to Greeks and Greeks are like, no, they want their, their heroes need to be a son of God, like Perseus right. and whatnot. So they weren't going to buy it. And they specifically, it's like the council of Nicaea or something and whatever, mm -hmm. like the year 200 or something where they, the church fathers got together and they took a vote to decide if he was the son of God or not. That's how they figured right. it out. And it's, so it's the most it's the most tenuous the the thing really should just disregard obviously disregard but 
That has become the most important thing in church Christianity. The most important thing is he's the son of God, and you have to believe that. If you don't believe that, none of this other shit I've been talking about matters at all. And so that's how it's like it's just been perverted and corrupted into something. Um, yeah. No, I, I talk about that in uh, in Fatal Flaws of the Church. It's, I, I go through the whole thing um, where I, I talk about the Council of Nicaea and how if that vote had gone the other way and if Jesus was, you know, kind of took the more Gnostic approach, the, the Aryan approach, then Christianity as we know it falls apart. It, but it's it's weird because it's like Christianity doesn't fall apart. The church does. Right. So it's like, like obviously that's why they did it because yeah. a Jesus that's human can be considered, you know, if he's more than man, but not the human representation of God, <clears throat> then Christianity as your modern Christian understands it just completely disintegrates. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's crazy to me that there's that Gnosticism isn't more common among, uh, that the belief system isn't more common among Christians because I don't know, it, it just, it makes more sense logically and it makes more sense in regards to what the church was trying to do at that time to maintain their hold. I mean, Emperor Constantine, he was a pagan, you know, he, he wasn't, he didn't, you know, maybe he saw the vision of the cross and said, you know, he said, uh, through this, I shall conquer, but he was a pagan. He died a pagan. He just found a way to keep paganism and keep his empire alive through the church because he saw the direction that it was going. Yeah. So it, it's it's not even arguable, but you talk to some Christians and some church leaders about it, and they're like, no, no, he converted. It's like, the fuck he did? Mm-hmm. He didn't convert, man. He, he just saw what direction it was going. He rebranded. Yeah. <laughs> I work yeah. in marketing. I know what he did. I can see it. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So you talk about uh, you get into uh, Constantine and like the B- Byzantine Empire and stuff in your book. Uh, not the Byzantine. I do talk about uh, uh, Constantine. I, I talk about um, the fatal flaws of the church. Is, is mostly me going through the Catholic Church and just ripping it apart. Uh, and part of that is I talk about Mary Magdalene. I talk about um, the I talk about the Council of Nicaea and the story of the watchers and the idea that if if Jesus wasn't divine in the sense that Christianity commonly thinks he is, then uh, you know how that would just tear their church apart. And then you know, like I said, I talk about Mary Magdalene there as well. I talk about the uh, the Book of Enoch and the importance that is not only to to Christianity but also to Lutheranism as well. Yeah. So, um, so a couple things. So there's, um, a writer that I like named, uh, Ospensky, who is a Russian, uh, and he was into, um, the, he was into theosophy for a little while. Mm-hmm. And this is all during the Bolshevik, you know, era. And, and one of the things that he talked, he, he, he talks about is he, he, he used this terminology, um, church Christianity, versus esoteric Christianity. And I found that so incredibly useful to be able to make that yes. separation because people just, when people like criticize the church or religion, it's just all like thrown to, you know, as, as, as like a whole, you have to understand that that thing is not a whole and complete thing. It's a hodgepodge of, of uh, cobbled together stuff. And, and the church part of it is like really separate from the philosophy of it. You know, it's like the whole, like, you know, gathering everyone together, like in this organization and, and, you know, monitoring and keeping track of who's married to who and stuff is like something that they totally got imported into the, into the whole thing. I mean, the, the church, it's, it's a, uh, it's a corporate brand, man, you know? Yeah. And when, when the church does something and, and, they say, like I talk about the indulgences, you know, that the church used to have people pay and uh, how they were just so stupid. The, the idea of it was so stupid, but hey, if you are raised in your entire life and serve God and someone says, hey, I can help you buy time off of purgatory. Yeah, why not? Hey, you just need a cow? Go ahead and take it. You need my house? All right, if it serves God. And it just kept going and going and going. And it's... It's just crazy to me that people can't separate the two between, uh, you know, having a strong 
core belief in, in Jesus and, and what he teach, and then having a belief in the church. Mm-hmm. It, you know, looking at it the way I do, if, if I was a Christian, I would rally against the church. I think it's, it's, it's so corrupt from anything that Christianity could have been and was supposed to be to what it is today. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's not that churches don't do awesome stuff. They, they absolutely do. They, you know, they have charities, they have shelters. Most of the things that I think the church does today are good. But the overall idea of it is it's just become too corrupt and it's become too, uh, too perverted. Yeah, no, I agree. So you mentioned Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. So how, 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 how significant is Gnosticism for you? What, do you? what is your perspective on that? It's very significant. Uh, Luciferianism started with the Hellenistic cult, um, you know, your Socrates and uh, uh, having that, those, those kinds of values. Um, and then it moves to Gnosticism. Then you have, you know, Blavatsky, then you have Ford and whatever. So that's around that amount of time. But Gnosticism is extremely important. Uh, that is the grandfather philosophy of Luciferianism. And, uh, and there's a lot of value in Eliuna. I learned actually while writing this, I learned a lot about uh, uh, Hermeticism. Hermeticism. Uh-huh. Yeah, I learned a lot about And it's not that I didn't know anything about it, but I you know, learned even more. And I, I love Hermeticism. It's, uh, I think, the seven keys to massive mastery. And I think it's genius. Absolutely genius. Yeah, to me, one of the things that really stood out to me from Gnosticism is, of course, there's the serpent. There's all the serpent mythology and the idea that the serpent right. is is a bearer bearer of knowledge. You know, and this ties in with the light yeah. the light bearer, the Promethean um, mm-hmm. aspect, um, which to me that's part of the Luciferian that the whole Luciferian meme complex um, has that 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 Promethean thing in it. And the other thing from Gnosticism is the idea Absolutely. that. Um, um, that uh, what is it called the um the demi the demiurge the idea of the demiurge that that actually actually the the creator you know which to me is the prince of darkness right that's the creator you know the gift of set um you know light bearer you know it all ties in with that that's the creator of like consciousness right Or, or or fed consciousness with something like the black flame and yeah that's the actual creator that's the actual good God, but the bad God kind of like fucking pulled a switcheroo and he has right. like domain down here and the good God's kind of like separated from it. And so the Demiurge is what we're dealing with. And when you look at that, it's like, oh, well, that's that's reflected through that gets reflected through the Bible. Right. So that's why he's a jealous God. You know, that's why he kills people. He's a serial rapist. He does all these horrible bad things and he's supposed to be the, 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 the patriarch God of the unit. Well, that, that explains why he is like the bad God that, um, is, is in control of things right now. And it also puts back this idea of, um, and to me, it starts to get into Zoroastrianism to, to some extent. I think a lot of the patterns ultimately find their origin, um, with, with, with the Persians, but in, in church Christianity, they, they, you know, God is, has created everything and he even created evil. And this is the big contradiction in it. You know, every child who goes into Christianity, you know, every child asks, you know, why God allows people to die and does evil things. Right. And you're told, well, you know, because it's God's way and, you know, some, some bullshit thing about it. He's created evil. He created evil and put us in this shitty situation to test us or something. And, you know, Zoroastrianism and, and I think this Gnosticism, these other systems that derive from it, they sweep that away by saying, no, I see God is not absolute. That's it. I mean, he, and, and he didn't create evil either, like evil. And to me, evil means ignorance, you know, mechanicalism, coercion. To me, that's the only evil. All evil comes down to anger and, co- and coercion because that's what fucks people over and that's what uh, leads people uh, to do horrible things. And so that um, wasn't that isn't like actually created by the the first principle, you know, right. the principle of isolated intelligence. It didn't create that. That's like something separate, and that's part of like what our struggle is for. That's part of why we have to go through a struggle in order to you know attain consciousness or or work towards you know, uh, you know like you say apotheosis or or yeah. you know coming into being. 
Well, uh, yeah, you're you're right. Absolutely. I, mean, I always saw the idea of evil as uh, as the absence of good, God, whatever you want to call it. So I, in, at the end of my book, I talk about the idea of hell. And uh, hell to me is, is just the absence of um, any kind of uh, any kind of good or any kind of light in that you can generate in your own life um, and yeah yeah you just you can see it it's too it's too common it's too often and uh, uh, you can see it in, in your own life and if you're willing to kind of live in it for a little while you can come out on the other side being supremely better and that's the importance of struggle that's the importance of uh of having those issues and you know i talk about the idea of uh living in darkness in my book as well and that's the same idea you have to you have to kind of be willing to accept both of them and it can't it can't just be good and and great for you all the time that's that wouldn't be a very fulfilling life it wouldn't be uh it wouldn't be worth it in my opinion so tell me about the role of, of freedom and morality. I keep let so this is I might skip ahead and read that chapter uh, before <laughs> the other ones. So tell me tell me how uh, significant that is for you. Uh, freedom and morality. It seems to be a favorite from people so far from the feedback I've gotten. Uh, freedom and morality. I, I talk about. Uh, I open it up with saying, if freedom is the action, morality is the police. So. Every one of us, we all have freedom right now. You can snap and go psycho and uh, go create a mass act of terror, or you can you're free to uh, to go work a charity. You're free to work. You're free to do nothing at all. That's fine. But once you start bringing your morality into play, that's when you have to start questioning. Okay, is is this actually? Uh, this is actually something I want to do. Is it going to better serve me? Is it going to better serve those I, I care about and, and love and appreciate? So freedom and morality, I, I kind of poke a little bit of fun at Christians who are maybe on the more extreme side by saying, sorry, by, by saying, uh, you know, if you just live your entire life and you never challenge what you believe, and I call Mr. and Mrs. Do Good, and you just have this, idea that you know you, you were raised in christian and and you've lived your entire life that way and you never thought to challenge it then you're never going to know if something out there is better you're never going to you're going to know if something out there is more fitting for your lifestyle and for the kind of person that you are so once you start doing that then that's when you start kind of testing your morals and i i talk about how it's so important for you to test them as much as you can so that when you're done with it you can be like all right i don't actually think that you know we'll use gay marriage i don't i don't actually think that gay marriage is bad because why it's too stupid so that's looking at from the christian's perspective you know from my own i, I talk about some morals i have to uh, to not betray your friends to to keep your word and um you know not backstab people pretty much and I talk about the importance of that there, but really most of that chapter is pretty philosophical in the sense of I'm talking about the idea of freedom and morality more so than I'm talking about my own experiences with, with it. Mm -hmm. No, that's awesome. That sounds great. Um, so, so you're, so you believe more morality exists. You, you don't, you're yes. not into a, you're not a moral relativist. Um, no, no, I think, I think that people should absolutely have morals and I do not think that, uh, but all the same, I think the idea of morality is your, your morals should be about that thing. The actual things that you hard say, I, I will or will not do this. It, there shouldn't be a lot of them. It should be very, very few. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, cause there's, there's a million ideas that we all have. You know, it's a good idea to treat your neighbor with respect and to, you know, be kind and show common courtesy. But it's not really a moral. You know, it's, it's not a, a, something I absolutely have to do. It's just it makes life more easier to navigate that way. So uh, I do think that, you know, morals between people are going to change. What I believe living in America and what you believe living in America is going to be very different than someone who lives in uh, Pakistan 
you know, right. and what, what we hold valuable is going to be extremely different from them. It doesn't make ours right or theirs right or us wrong or them wrong. It just, we're, we grew up in totally different worlds, really. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's, it's going to change from people to people and that's fine. But once you find something that you, you can say like, all right, I absolutely believe this and this is really important for me. Um, for instance, my idea of you don't betray your friends, you don't betray the people that you care about under any circumstances, I'll never do it ever. And that's partly because of how I was raised and partly because of the philosophical ideals I have. Yeah. No, I tend to, I, I would probably tend to agree with most of that. Um, I, I think morality is a thing and I know it's a hot button. It's a hot button issue. Some people get real, Oh no, you know, they think you're being a Bible thumper to, to even discuss it. But I mean, really when you look at it, like the satanic Satanism, as it was presented in the satanic Bible, you know, from the, you know, in the late sixties, early seventies, it, that was a moral philosophy. That's what that is. It's a moral. It, it focuses on what is moral, and like like the nine satanic statements are all statements about what you know Levey thinks is a moral existence. You know, responsibility to the responsible instead of instead of concern for psychic vampires. You know, and it's like it's all these things instead of something else, right? And so that's like a that's right. a moral declaration, right? That that all centers Absolutely. around. Again, personal responsibility, you know, uh, rational self-interest and personal responsibility. So it's a it's a really a moral philosophy, and he didn't get too much into the metaphysics. Like his metaphysics is all pretty. It's it's kind of like Jungian and energy and stuff like that. But mm. you know, don't worry. This question about you know, um, you know, uh, is the devil real? You know, and he and he talks about well, there's powers of darkness. You know, there's he talks about the dark forces. But really, right. his overall message, and so I, I, I personally don't think Anton LaVey was really an atheist at that time. I think the atheism got, uh, th that came later. That was a later addition into the saga of the, of the Church of Satan. But, but his overall message when he says that in the Satanic Bible is I think he's saying, don't worry about that too much, right? And in some sense, it's similar to what you said earlier about like, you know, don't jump right into the God thing. Right. Right. You know, that comes allow that to arise like within you kind of naturally after you've gone through a lot of internal, you know, looking within. Right. So that's right. the first thing, Absolutely. you know, you don't start looking for God out there. You have to start looking inside yourself. Right. And that's really the difference between being and an initiate or, a, or a, a black magician or however you characterize yourself, right? The difference between that and, say, being a, a scientist or an archaeologist, right? A scientist or archaeologist is going to go out and explore the real world, right, and find right. evidence and, and bring it back and write a book about it. But the work, kind of work that we're tending to talk about here always starts with an internal journey. And then the metaphysical questions, you know, it's okay to have that as a question. It's okay to say, you know, I'm not I'm not sure about the existence of, you know, of Set or Lucifer, the Prince of Darkness. I'm not sure about that. It, sometimes the universe looks like this. Sometimes it looks like maybe it's a little more like that way. But I'm okay with that. That's the central. That's a mystery. And I'm okay with that being a mystery there right now. I'm just going to let it sit there, you know. Right. That's something uh, uh, Stephen Flowers talks about with the word runa, right? That there's something about this mystery that just um, is is very powerful, for us so yeah and it, you know i i absolutely i completely agree i, I talk about that where, where it's you know it you don't luciferianism is an idea satanism is an idea even abrahamic religions are an idea i, I don't need to necessarily or have un doubted faith or i have actually no faith but i, I, I want to say i need to have belief in any of this stuff it's a really good idea that makes perfect sense for me right now that i can align my action actions with this idea so it works it's not going to work for everybody that's and that's totally fine and i don't think it should i um i i gotta be kind of careful about having the uh, elitist mindset here but not that the spirits or Satanists or anyone on the left hand path is necessarily better, but it's it's definitely a smaller group for a reason because of what we were talking about earlier, where they said you're born a Satanist. And I think 
you're born on the left hand path. You, you either have it or have it or you don't. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's there's a you don't have to know anything. You don't you don't have to know it. You just accept it, accept it as the best option available to you right now. And until something better comes along, keep keep it. Why not? Yeah. You know. And if something better does come along, all right, we'll study it and really think about it and, you know, go through your own life and say, does this work in this situation and this situation? And would it have produced a better result? And if you do all of that and it comes up with, yeah, it, it would make more sense for me to change, you know, this idea to this, then do it. You know, there's no reason that you have to be so absolute and stuck into whatever it is that you believe. There's, there's no reason. You should absolutely accept uh, better ideas if you come across one. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like the idea is there should be a, um, you know, you probably know I'm a big advocate of the free market. And, right. and, and I believe that in all spheres. And it's the realm of ideas. It's the realm of esotericism, too. There should be a free market here and people should be able to, um, you know, present competing ideas and people should be able to shop and choose the best ideas that work best for them, the system that works best for them. And this is alien to the, the you know, the church Christianity uh, mentality, the idea is that, well, if there's any kind of philosophy, everyone has to, th everyone has to be on board with it or else not, you know, um, right. which ironically is kind of like the idea in, in progressivism, uh, secular progressivism. Also, everyone has to be on the same page. We all have to, you know, be on the same page with, you know, climate change or whatever. Um, but the reality is that, you know, not, and, and I mean, this reflects in so many of these like different, um, left-hand path manifestations um, that, and I feel that you've kind of like said this too, that like, well, Luciferianism to you is, is basically everyone's creating their own vision of this, right? Everyone's creating their own style, their own, their own way in it. And, and that's, it's, you know, the, the right-hand path mentality just rebels at this and they just can't, they can't understand how, how it's possible. But, but it is, and it's like, it's the more real thing. I think it's, you know, I think there was a time in human history where this was the norm. It was the norm for people to find themselves this way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if it, it, Luciferianism, and I guess Satanism too, in a way for me is kind of the exact opposite of Abrahamic religions because of how it's structured. So Abrahamic religions say, okay, here's God, and here's how you get to him. Luciferianism is saying, okay, here's your apotheosis, here's the point in your life that you want to reach or that you have the capability of reaching. You can get to it any way you possibly can. The point is to reach your highest potential. Not every person is going to have the same potential. There is a reason that most people throughout history didn't really make a mark on it. And whether, you know, whatever the reason that might have been, it's uh you know, it comes down to, is your potential good enough and are you able to live up to that? So as opposed to, you know, Christianity where it's, okay, here's, here's God, here's Jesus, and here's a million and one rules that you have to follow to, to reach that. Mm -hmm. No, no I, I read about this in the chapter Foundation where if people get nothing else from my book, I really want them to understand that there's more than one way to God. And gather <laughs> but uh you know there's more than one way to god whatever god means to you so if god is your highest point there's a million ways that you can get there there's a million ways you can reach that potential if god to you is jesus well that's a little bit more narrow but there's still not just one path to arrive yeah so how um you mentioned i think you mentioned uh socrates how how important are the like the greek philosophers aristotle plato all those guys um, how, how, uh, how involved they're, they're did they get important. in your work? Um, what was that last part? I'm sorry. Oh, just how, how involved is that? How, or how much, are, how relevant are the Greek philosophers oh. for your work? Um, quite a bit, but I'm, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, most of my understanding of the Greek philosophers comes from people like Ford, um, Picnet, uh, I've, I've only read so much of the direct source information from them. Um, everything that I've read from Socrates, I love. 
Um, but most of what I interpret and understand of that does come from Michael Ford. It does come from others, typically on the left-hand path. Uh, Plato, he, he was great as well. But I, I really look at more so the idea of what they were putting out there as opposed to, um, you know, really diving into it, like, say, Satanism, for example, where I studied it for years. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's more, it's more like, all right, I understand what you're saying. And even, you know, you know the, the idea of a daemon, I talk about this, too, in, in the book, where, you know, a Luciferian is going to call it a daemon. A scientist might call it your consciousness or your intuition. Um, because I'm a theist, I call it the gods. So there's been a, n- a number of names for the daemon throughout our uh, throughout history, and, and everyone kind of defines it a little bit differently. But it, it still is it's massively important. You should you should absolutely listen to that inner voice that you have within yourself because if we take the, take the idea of the, the, the divine spark, that's that inner voice is your higher consciousness, or that inner voice is God or gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's um, that's essential. No, the daemon is. Uh, I I think the daemon is huge, like you said. Um, and and all the, you know, Socrates. You know, he said he drank the hemlock because his daemon told him that's the 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 thing to do. And 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 Plato and Aristotle, all these guys had a, a concept of the daemon. It probably comes from Persia, uh, and Zoroastrianism with the idea of the fravashi. You have a part of yourself. You know, you have a higher part of yourself. Um, right. That that something about our situation on Earth, uh, the nature of life on Earth and human life in particular on Earth, uh, separates us from it, or we separated from it, or something like that. Right. Um, it's just a big. It's a really big idea, and it's really common. And the more you look into it, it's like you know, you know, it starts to look like you know, this was probably in the pre, you know, mono, pre-Abrahamic era. This was probably the more uh, dominant. Um, I, I, idea, religious idea, or spiritual idea that people had. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. I learned a new name for it too. You know, there's, you said there's all these different names, you know, Holy Guardian Angel and, and, yeah. and, and all these different ways to approach it. I heard a new, a new one the other day, um, the silent witness. And so, and, and this all goes in with like, you know, self, you know, self-reflection and self-remembering and questioning that you knew mm-hmm. observe behaviors in yourself you ask yourself this question about like who's this silent witness and that whatever you're doing, there's always you doing it, but then there's also you observing yourself doing it. And it right. starts to create this sort of, this sort of a divided attention in your, in your approach to things. Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, um, you know, there, there's so many different ways that you could look at that, but I, I completely agree with you. I think, pre-Abrahamic and probably even during the times where pretty much every culture was polytheistic, I would, I would probably suggest that you're absolutely right. That's, that's what they looked at as the understanding of, of God and, and religion yeah. or well, not religion, but the understanding of God would be that the inner voice in your head, the, yeah. uh, the daemon. Right. So, yeah, and again, it has to start uh, internally. Again, the, Absolutely. The, the first things you said on this conversation is like, God, you know, it, don't put the horse before the car with God. And right. um, yeah, it, it, it only arises, on, anything that even looks remotely like what you think God could be only arises after some kind of internal questioning. And it never arises like up as a permanent state, right? It, it arises as like moments, you know, moments of like, realization moments of awareness and moments of like opening absolutely absolutely well awesome henry uh well this has been a great discussion and uh the book i mean like i said i'm all part way through it but uh so far i'm really really digging it um and you know i hope all my listeners go and check it out too it's available on amazon right yeah amazon barnes and noble awesome so do you have any any final words for our listeners to help them survive the dark times that lie before us. <laughs> uh, know thyself, man. That's that's so important, <laughs> you know. And and my chapter called self love. I should have called it know thyself because that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. And it's, it's important for you to 
to understand, you know, who you are and the kind of person that uh, you want to build your life up to be. So, you know, if you're going through some shit, man, hey, we all been there. And, you know, if you, if you end up reading this book and picking it up, I hope you enjoy it. And, you know, you can learn something from it and use some uh, shitty failure from my own life to make sure that you don't have the same thing happen to you. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, thank you, Henry Panic, and keep the dark fires burning. Absolutely, man. Thank you. Thanks.